much. Please do be seated. <clears throat> well, again, I encourage you, if, if uh, we are recording these messages, and you guys know we can, uh, we can look them up throughout the week on sermon audio, um, but uh, let me encourage you to be following this week. Uh, I know some nights people are going to have to be out, but um, uh, I'm sure Brother Taylor would acknowledge this, that these meetings build on each other. And uh, even Sunday school this morning was a foundational message, there's just no doubt. And uh, so let me encourage you, go back. If you didn't, didn't see that this, this morning, go back and watch it for yourself. Uh, Brother Taylor and I, um, uh, we don't get to have as much fellowship as we would like because every time we're together, we, we genuinely love talking about the Bible. And it sounds weird to say that about two Baptist preachers, but you'd be amazed how many preachers don't like talking about the Bible. They're either looking for a fight or they don't understand or something like that. And it's just nice to get a different perspective and a different insight. I really enjoyed that this morning. The difference between sin and iniquity. Amen? You ever think about stuff like that? And so I'm just looking forward to this week. You be in prayer for him and his family, for their health and for their safety. Pray for those who aren't here. There's just a number of reasons why they're not. But uh, God's been good. Uh, so far, and I'm looking for a great week. So, Brother Jeremy Taylor, if you want to introduce your family when you come up so everybody can meet them. But uh, uh, it's great having you, and all but yours. Thank you, Brother. Well, good morning. morning. Let's take our Bible, shall we? Go over to Exodus chapter 21. Give you a moment, Exodus 21, uh, to reach a place. Let me say this, good to be in the Lord's house. Good to be around God's people. I appreciate your pastor. Appreciate the invite to come. I know that he's got a uh, number of, of different preachers that he could have asked to fill this week. And so the honor of being able to ask to come is a great privilege. And thank you from the very depth of my heart. I appreciate all the accommodations. The room, uh, somebody knows how to make a goodie basket. I'll tell you what. Uh, I walked over there and said, well, there's a fruit. And I said, oh, no, there it is. It's uh, chocolate and uh, cupcakes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, took me a little bit, but I got it all down last night. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to, but I got it. No, I'm kidding. About I had to beat my boys off of it, though, uh, I tell you. Uh, let me introduce uh, Pastor Ashton, too, so I'll do this. I introduce my lovely wife, uh, Miss Jenny, and then our daughter, Christiana, and then there's Timothy there, and Lydia, and then Joshua. And so we're excited. Thank you so much again for allowing my family and us to be here. Uh, you're turning to Exodus 21. I do want to say this. I, I preached for a preacher one time. And uh, when I was done, I, I was young in the ministry, those things, and went to him. I said, brother, I, I said, what would you think about the message? And I really honestly cared about his opinion and what he thought and uh, just wanted to do right in his pulpit, those kind of things. And so I asked him, I said, what do you think about the message? He said, brother Taylor, he said, let me kind of put it this way. He said, your preaching kind of reminded me of the peace of God and the mercy of God. I looked at him kind of uh, befuzzled a little bit. I said, oh, brother, I'll be honest, I don't understand. I didn't preach on either one of those subjects. He said, well, let me say it this way. The Bible says the peace of God passeth all understanding, and I didn't understand a word you said. <laughs> the Bible says the mercy of God endureth forever, and I didn't think you were ever going to shut up. And so I'll do my best not to be that way this week. And so that being said, let's take our Bibles, Exodus 21. You stand with me this morning. I'll give you a chance to stretch your legs. We read the Word of God and we'll pray and then have you be seated and get into the message for today. Exodus 21, follow along with me as we begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, Six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and unto the door post. 
And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Our Father, this morning we are grateful from the very depth of our heart to be gathered in this place. And dear Lord, it's a privilege, it's, it's a blessing to my heart to be able to gather around folks that are interested in the Word of God. And dear Lord, for that very purpose, I, I'm glad though I'm not home, and though I'm not a member of this place, I do appreciate the bond that you give amongst your people. And so Father, I pray that you just knit our hearts together this week. I pray that you'll take us. Lead us by the hand into truth that your scriptures might be manifested in our presence. And God, we have a heart that's yearning, yielded, and wanting to hear from you. And I pray, dear God, you'd have liberty to do so. Might you work your will out in all things and do something, dear God, this week that only you get the glory and the credit for. And Father, we'll be careful to thank you, praise you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. You may be seated. We come to our passage this morning here in Exodus chapter 21 and we find that Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the law uh, from God and that which God wants to govern his people by. And often when we think about the law, we tend to kind of narrow our thought down into the Ten Commandments. And certainly that's a part of the law. There's no issues about that. It's found in chapter 20, what is referred to as the Ten Commandments. But actually the law is broader than that. There's not just the moral law or the Ten Commandments, but there's ceremonial law and how they were to come into his house and how they were to operate the tabernacle and the different things. And there's also a big portion that deals with what we understand to be the civil law and how God's people are to interact amongst themselves and how they are to conduct themselves and get along. I think God knew something that even saved people sometimes don't always get along like they should and don't always conduct themselves and so they need guidelines, they need rules, they need commandments in order to help them in their conducting of society with one another. Now it's an interesting thing here in Exodus 21 that of all the things the Lord could have started with in what is known as the civil part of the law he deals with the issue of a Hebrew citizen being bought into servitude. For one reason or another, he is put into servitude, he owes a debt, and thereby he is put into what we would consider or understand to be slavery. And the Bible teaches you and I this, that if somebody buys a Hebrew servant, then these are the guidelines and how it's to be dealt with and to be conducted. What is to take place is the fact that if a Hebrew servant is to be bought and put into servitude, he's to serve for six years. Six years, he owes a debt, he works, he serves, he, do, he does what is required of him. And then in that seventh year, he's to be set free and let go. The Bible teaches you and I in these verses in which we read this morning that, ladies and gentlemen, whatever condition or status he entered into servitude, he is to leave in the same way. In other words, if he came in as a single man, then he's to leave as a single man, those things, no, no big deal. But if he comes in as a married man, then he's to leave with his wife and so forth. However, during that time, those six years, if the master presents him with a wife and he gets married while he's in servitude, then at the end of those six years, into the seventh year, he can leave, but the wife belongs to the master and she's to stay. And that's the idea. That is the conduct. However, at the end of the term, when those six years are up, the Bible teaches you and I that if he desires to, if he wants to, he doesn't have to go free. He doesn't have to go his way and do what he wants. He can stay. He can stay and serve in the master's house and do what the master would ask of him. And the only thing is, is that he's to go before the judges. The judges will then take and put him against the doorpost and they'll take his ear and they'll run it through with an awl and literally burn a hole into his ear. 
You say, what's an awl, preacher? Well, that's just a small metal poker that they end up heating up, and it's used a lot of times in metal uh, uh, leather work, excuse me, and they'll use it and they'll punch holes in leather in order to make belts and girdles and different things along that nature. And so it's a small metal poker that pokes a hole in it. And so he can stay into servitude if he's willing to pay the cost and get the mark and thereby serve the master. But if he does it, he's indebted to the master from that point forward. Now I want you to think about that with me this morning. Because we read this, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I look at it and think, man, that's extreme. <laughs> Here's my options. Go free and do what I want to, or stay in servitude and, oh yeah, by the way, have my ear run through with a hot poker. Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> we look at it, and I don't know about you, but I think, man, it's not much of a choice. It's, not, it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, why would I give up my freedom? Why would I give up the opportunity to go and have my debt paid afterwards and do what I want to and that kind of stuff? Why would I give that up to serve and slavery and servitude and thereby give myself over to the pain and the agony of having my ear burned through, what would cause somebody to actually make such a choice? Well, the Bible tells us, look with me if you would in verse number 5. The Bible says this very clearly. Here is the reason that they do this. Here is what motivates such a choice or a decision. The Bible says, If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. You know what causes somebody to make such a choice? To, to, to put themselves into servitude and to have their ear run through with a hot poker Ladies and gentlemen, the very thing that causes them to make such a choice comes down to the very issue that the Bible says they love their master. Now I want you to think about that with me this morning. Because the truth of it is they give up their entire freedom. They give up their future. They give up their choices. They put themselves under the direction and the hand of the master. And it's done for the very purpose that somewhere along the way, when, when, when he was put into servitude, there developed a love from him unto his master that after the time was up, after his debt was paid, after what he owed was no longer on the table and he had the ability to either go free or to serve and go through the mark and the pain and the agony of what it would cost them, they make that choice because of the simple truth, they love the master. And ladies and gentlemen, I know I'm being a little repetitive this morning, but listen to me. I want us to let it sink in today that you and I ought to ask ourselves this question, do I love my master that much? If a physical slave was willing to give up his freedoms and allow himself pain and agony, and by the way, from that point forward, he will always be recognized as a servant of the master. Everybody looks at him and they know immediately who he belongs to. They know what he is. They know his social status. They know what's going on. They know what they know about him based on the mark that's given to him. And ladies and gentlemen, they're willing to go the ridicule. They're willing to take on whatever comes with that mark because they love their master more than they love their freedom 
more than they love their social status, more than they love what people think about them. They love Him more than they love those things and it causes them to be able to put themselves in His service at all costs. I wonder if a physical slave is willing to go through that physical agony. I wonder this morning, do you and I love our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we love Him enough to be able to put ourselves through the same things? So I pose to you this question as we preach this morning for just a few moments. Do we really love our master? I know it's easy to say we do. Oh, preacher, absolutely. And I'd be the first one to try to, you know, uh, stand up straight and look prim and proper and those kind of things. And I'd be the first one to want to say and tell everybody I love him. But it's more than just saying it. There's more to this than just a declaration and moving on. So let's let this question settle into our hearts today and ask ourselves, do we really love Him? Do we love the Master? Well, let me give you a couple thoughts this morning. Number one, I want to ask you this, or I want you to look at this with me. I want you to first of all understand the explanation for love. Why would a servant love their Master this much? What would motivate them to fall in love with him to the degree that they're willing to put their life on the line and take that mark and go through the pain and be recognized forever as his servant? Why would they do that? Can I tell you that first of all, it's because of the purchase he made. Do you understand that a Hebrew servant, we're not talking about some conquered Slave, we're talking about a Hebrew citizen being bought into slavery. You know what happens? You know why somebody as a Hebrew citizen is put into servitude? A lot of times it comes to a point in place somewhere in their life they incurred a debt that they owed. Do you understand with me that sin in the Bible is often described as a debt? In Matthew chapter 6, what is known again as the Lord's Prayer, we talked just briefly about it this morning in our Sunday school time, but it says that we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You understand that Luke, when it records the Lord's Prayer, and I use that term loosely because it's more a model prayer, we're to pray after this manner. It's not. It was never given as a, a means for a word-for-word creed or any of that kind of stuff just to be repeated. It's a guideline. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of example or a pattern or a model for us to follow in our prayers. But did you know that Luke does not talk about the debt and everything? It, it uses a different term. It talks about trespass and so forth. But my friend Matthew uses the word debt because Matthew's gospel is written primarily to Jews. And Jews understood that their sin was a debt unto society. It was a debt. We use the same term. Somebody sins and ends up in a felony and they're arrested perhaps for murder or armed robbery or something. And while we're certainly glad that God speaks even to uh, prisoners and criminals and that kind of stuff, ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is just because somebody gets saved in prison doesn't mean you just let them free. They still have a debt owed to society. We use that terminology in our own criminal justice system. They have a debt that needs to be paid to society. Okay, the same idea is our sin before the Lord. When you and I were standing before God, lost and undone, we had a sin debt that we could not pay. You and I were not capable of paying it. In fact, it's interesting when talking about this issue of sin and a debt, Peter in chapter 18 of the book of Matthew comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, how many times shall my brother uh, sin against me and I forgive him? He said, seven times. I mean, Peter thought he was doing really good there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm super spiritual. Seven times? And Jesus said, no, it's not seven times. It's seven times 70. And the number is not the issue, but as long as there's repentance to be shown, there's to be forgiveness given. But here's the interesting thing. As soon as Peter asked that question, the Lord goes into a parable 
and begins to talk about a man who owed a master a debt. He owes him something that he could not pay. The Bible says that he owed 10,000 talents of silver. Now, I did some math on that a couple weeks ago. And you know how much that is according to our latest statistics on what silver is? Silver at $22.44 for a per talent is $750. Uh, deal. It ends up being about $164 million worth of silver. without the inflation rate we have. <laughs> I don't know about you, I don't know what your income is, but I'm not paying off $164 million in my, my lifetime. Probably not in multiple lifetimes. And that's the whole point of the illustration that the Lord was given. Here was this man that owed a debt that he would never pay, and the master forgives him. That understanding... So, a Hebrew servant is standing on the auction block. He owes a debt that he cannot pay. And guess what? They don't have welfare like they do in our state. It's not bankruptcy and let's just forget it and move on and that kind of stuff. What they would do is they would take everything you own, sell it, get rid of it, take it and try to pay off what debt. And if there was still a debt owed, then you yourself were sold into slavery. But here's the issue. Whoever bought you not only incurs your servitude, but they also incur your debt and they must pay it off. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ shed His blood for you and for me because we had a debt that we could not pay in a thousand million lifetimes, we would never work hard enough. We could never earn enough goodness in order to pay off that debt of sin that you and I owed. And my friend, the only person that was capable, and not just capable, but willing to be able to pay that debt was the Lord Jesus Christ himself and he stepped to the forefront and he paid off the debt of sin that you and I owed. Say, preacher, why should I love the master so much? I'll tell you because he paid something that nobody else was willing to pay and he paid a debt that nobody else could pay. He purchased us by his own blood. We ought to love him this morning. We ought to love him because of the fact that he purchased us. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, the Bible says, You are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. We are his servants because we've been bought with a price. The Bible teaches in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says there was false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Anybody that says the Lord never purchased them, the lost world, never paid that debt of sin, the Bible says that's a heresy. Because that's exactly what he did. And you and I ought to think about that. I ought to love him today. Because when nobody else, including myself, could pay that debt I owed, he not only could, but he did. If I had no other reason this morning to love him, that's enough. That in itself is enough. We ought to love him because of the purchase that he's made. Can I also tell you, we ought to love him because of the patience that he has. You think about a servant. You think about somebody standing in the market on the auction block, being auctioned off as a slave, you don't necessarily know what his skill set is. <laughs> and whoever that master purchases and buys, 
He gets to determine what it is the servant does. Do you understand that with me this morning? Our service for the Lord is not determined by you and I. It's determined by the master. He gets to say how we serve. Brother Bradshaw's here as pastor servant, not because of Brother Bradshaw is somebody spectacular, though I respect him and love him in the Lord and those kind of things. He serves in the capacity as pastor of this church because that's the position and the job that the master has chosen for him. God has me pastoring a church in Oklahoma. So do you like Oklahoma? I like things about Oklahoma. How about that? <laughs> but the 108 temperature summers is not one of them. But it's not really my choice. It's not, I don't really have a say-so in this matter. The master determines. I want you to think about that. You think about buying Somebody, purchasing them for a position or a thought. And now you got a job in mind for them. Can you imagine what it would be like to be put into a job that you don't have the skills for? Uh, we sometimes think about a master and we think of it in light of the Egyptian taskmasters that came and afflicted the people of Israel after the days of Joseph. And they made them make brick without straw and they whipped them and they were just afflicting them on all kinds of fronts. That's sometimes the idea we gain about a master. But I promise you, my friend, you're not going to give yourself freely of choice to serve a master who's a taskmaster and whips you and hurts you and abuses you and beats you and that kind of stuff. That's not going to draw your love to that kind of master. I promise you if it's that kind of master, when those six years is up, you're not going to be able to get out of there fast enough. Right. What causes you to fall in love with a master is one who's patient. Can you imagine what it would be like to get some tech guru or something? Some guy who has an office job and all he does is type and mess with computers and that kind of stuff. And now the master bought him. And guess what? We're going to the field. <laughs> you're going to plow. You're going to run oxen. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And that's not his skill set. And I promise you, if you put me in the field trying to plow with oxen, I'd mess a whole lot of things up. I wouldn't have a clue. Can you imagine what it would be like try for that master to have to come and say, you know, the patience that he would have, the care, the love, the compassion. No, that's not how it goes. You do it this way. <laughs> Stop. Stop. No, you do it this way. No, you're not listening. And just the patience to work and help this servant. He said, Preacher, you really think it's that way? I don't think it's any other way, ladies and gentlemen. I really don't think somebody falls in love and gives themselves to a master freely of their own choice if he's abusing them and hurting them. And I tell you, as this is a picture of our master... I promise you that's not the way our master treats you and I. I'm telling you there's often many, many, many times, even as a pastor, that I've gotten into the service of the Lord and doing what the master wanted me to do. And there have been times that he's had to stop me. No, no, not like that. Stop. No, you don't do it that way. Here's how you do it. Nope, nope, come back over here. Let's start over. And, this, and I'm glad this morning that I got a caring, loving, 
patient master who doesn't beat me with a whip. Oh, he can get stern. There's no question about that. He is my father. And the Bible teaches that whom he loveth, he chasteneth. And there are times in which he can get pointed and he can get direct. But it's never to hurt me. It's never to abuse me. It's never to, to, to put me into some kind of situation where he wanted my harm. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when he even when he even when he has to get stern with me and my life, he does it because he loves me. And the love and the patience he shows towards me develops a reciprocating spirit within me to want to love him back. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we love him because he first loved us. And so why should we love him? What's the explanation? What would cause a servant to do this? I tell you, first of all, it's because he purchased us. I tell you, second of all, it's because he has patience with us. And I'm so glad that he's patient and long-suffering. Because I, I, you may not believe this, but I can be kind of thick-headed. Don't, don't laugh. That's not nice. My wife smiles ear to ear. I, I can be kind of bullheaded a little bit. I can kind of think, okay, I've got it. I've got this worked out. I can do it. And then there have been more times than I want to confess this morning that I've messed up, made a real problem of things. And he's not some taskmaster kicking me to the curb. He's that master potter that takes the clay and puts us back on the wheel and starts over. We ought to love him because he's purchased us. We ought to love him this morning because... He's got patience with us. Let me also tell you this morning, we ought to love Him because He provides for us. I I said it already, but I'll remind you. When that servant goes to the auction block and he's being auctioned off, before he ever reaches this point, everything he owns has been confiscated. Everything's gone into foreclosure. It's been taken away. His home, his equipment... Everything in order to pay off his debts before he gets to this point. So when he walks into servitude, guess what? He's got nothing. He's got nothing. Everything he's acquired, a nice bed, meals. A lot of times in this case in which we've read, the family he has, the children, the job, all that stuff has been provided to him by the master. Can I tell you, do you and I well sometimes just to take a moment and lift our head toward heaven and thank God for what he does for us? Do we realize this morning and recognize the truth outside of just more an intellectual recognition? I'm talking about from the very depth of our heart. Do we recognize that we wouldn't have anything if it had not been for the master providing it for us? I think about all that he's given me and sometimes I get overwhelmed. I think about the beautiful wife that he's given me as the best friend that I could have in this life. I think about my children and how God's blessed me with them and their smile and I enjoy. I, I, I look forward to this week just getting away from some things and be able to spend some time. We brought a few games and that kind of stuff just to spend some time together and do some things. I, I tell you, I thank God for the wife. I thank God for the children. But I thank God for my church family at home. And I, I think, man, out of all the people that God could allow to have a church and set me in part of His body and let me be a member. I mean, God gives me the privilege of being a part of the house of God and enjoying the fellowship of God's people. And I even got some good friends along the way. And I tell you, Brother Bradshaw got up here this morning and said, uh, uh, you know, Brother Taylor's my friend and that kind of stuff. I, I don't have a lot of that. I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot of people that, that, that are really genuinely as friends. And to have somebody to be able to say that about somebody like me, I'm telling you that's only possible today because of the goodness of our Master and what he's provided for us. Our hearts ought to be overwhelmed, ought to bubble up with joy over the fact of what he's given to you and I. Oh, he's a good master. 
He's not a taskmaster. He's not one of these who abuses and hurts us. We ought to love him this morning because of the provision that he gives. I agree with Peter. You know, in Peter chapter 19, it's interesting context there. The Lord comes and the Lord deals with a rich young ruler and a rich young ruler comes to the Lord and he makes this statement in chapter 19. He said, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord says, well, you know, go keep the commandments. He said, well, he missed it, totally oblivious. He said, well, I've done all that from my youth. And the Lord tells him, okay, go sell everything. And that young person walked away sad because he's not willing to submit and yield and want God more than he wanted something else. And so by that, he walked away, but here's the issue. He walked away still rich. And so Peter's looking at that. And Peter said, uh, Lord, hold on. He walks away not willing to follow you, and he's rich. We've left houses and lands and mothers and fathers. We've done all this. What shall we get out of it? Peter's looking at this thing and said, this doesn't add up. He wasn't willing. He goes away rich. We've left all this stuff and we are willing. What, what are we going to get? And the Lord makes an interesting statement to him at the end of Matthew 19. He said, there's nobody that's left all these things who I haven't restored unto him a hundredfold. And we don't serve the master just because of what we can get out of him. But I do tell you this. God's a debtor to nobody. Right. And ladies and gentlemen, He takes care of His own. Amen. He provides for you and I. Good. And He doesn't just give us the bare, basic necessities. He gives us so far above and beyond what we really deserve. Amen. And so there is an explanation for this love. We ought to love Him because we've been purchased. We ought to love him because he has patience. And we ought to love him because of his provision. I'll give you another thought this morning. There's not just the explanation for love, but there is the exhibition of love. To love the master is more than just say it. He didn't go before the judges and say, okay, I love my master, I want to stay. And they say, okay, got it, go on. No, there was a public exhibition to display his love Amen. do you understand that saying you love somebody is important I, I, I try to tell my children I try to tell my wife I had a dad growing up who never at any moment in my life ever had me question whether he loved me or not and he told me often you say why, why do you do that preacher because my granddad was the opposite of that my granddad wouldn't tell you he loved you. He's a good man, but he just that never came out of his mouth and that kind of stuff. My dad made sure that that was a part of our home and it's something I've remembered over the years. And so telling your children, telling your spouse, telling folks you love them, everyone, nothing wrong with that. Let's be honest. Sometimes words are cheap. Amen. And sometimes we can say things that really are not the display of our heart. I, I've had people say, well, preacher, I love you. I love the church. But we just can't agree with things and we're leaving. I'm thinking, but you just said you loved us. <laughs> what would you think about me this morning if I were to stand here and tell you I love my wife and yet I'm going to leave her? That doesn't compute, does it? It doesn't add up. It doesn't match. And so to say you love somebody is, is all good and fine. But our life needs to display Amen. the love that we claim we have. And here this servant is willing to publicly show everybody that looks at him from this point forward, I belong to the Master. There's no doubt. There's no question. 
This mark is a very telling mark of who I belong to. He was willing to exhibit. He was willing to put it on display and show and prove his love. You know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 about the fact that we can prove the sincerity of our love. Now in that context it deals with offerings and money and this stuff. But I tell you our life, the very way we live, the very things we do, we ought to be showing others and our master that we love him by the way we live. I've been told over the years on multiple occasions, Preacher, I want you to know I can love the Lord and I can do what I want to. I can live how I want to. Do what I want to. And the Master loves me. I don't have to do this and do that to get the Master to love me. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. I want you to hear what I'm fixing to tell you. That is true. The issue is not about the master loving the servant. He's already proven he loves us. He's proven that he loves us in the way he purchased us. He's proven that he loves us in the patience that he displays in our life. He's already proven to you and I that he loves us in the way that he provides for us every single day. I'm telling you, he's proven beyond and above just how much he loves us. The issue is not the master proving to us that we love him. The issue is we ought to live our lives to prove that we love the master. I, I live how I want to, dress how I want to, do what I want to, preacher, and, and it doesn't have any plans on whether God loves me. Well, absolutely. But you can't live how you want to and dress like you want to and do what you want to and conduct your life like you want to and prove that you love Him. Amen. And that's what's on display. It's not His love for me. I ought to want to conduct my life in a manner that proves my love for Him. Amen. So, there is the explanation for this love. It comes because of the purchase that He's made. It calls, comes because of the patience that He has and the provision that He gives. And there's an exhibition of this love. I ought to exhibit it no matter what it costs me. If it means that I have to go without some things, if it means that I have to go through some pain and some hurt, if I have to go through some ridicule, if God's going to put me into some situations and circumstances that are uncomfortable, I mean, can you imagine? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I'm allergic to pain. <laughs> I just am. I don't, I don't want to be put into pain and be made uncomfortable. Tell you, when I was a teenager... Being a preacher was the last thing on my agenda. You say, preacher, you get uncomfortable? I absolutely do. A lot of times I get red in the face and that kind of stuff, and it's got nothing to do because I'm animated. It has to do with I try to do that so you can't tell how nervous I am, and that way it just all kind of runs together. Anyway, I get very uncomfortable. I would rather much be in the back doing something behind the scenes not on the forefront, that kind of stuff. But whether I'm comfortable or not is not the issue. If this is what my master wants out of me, it is one of the least things that I could possibly do for him. There's the explanation. There's the exhibition. And then let me say this this morning. There's the expectation from love. Say, so what do you mean by that, preacher? Look at verse 6 with me this morning, would you? Verse number 6. Exodus 21, verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. Notice this last statement. Here's the expectation. He shall serve him 
forever. This isn't a trial run. This isn't a, well, we'll get in for a little while and try it until I get bored and I'll go do something else. This isn't in, well, I've got one foot in and one foot out, and I'll give you part of my time and that kind of stuff. No. When you commit to love the Master and you exhibit it, there's an expectation that this relationship lasts from that moment forever. Can I, can I tell you, never underestimate your faithfulness to God and God's house. The older I get, the more I appreciate people who are simply faithful. Amen. Nobody's putting a gun to your head to be here today. Nobody's forcing you. Some little kids might be saying, <coughs> well, that might be a different story. But I'm talking about as God's people, nobody's forcing you here. The fact that you're faithful service after service, week after week, year after after year. I love to go into a place. I love to be at home. And, and don't misunderstand me. I like visitors. I like new people that are coming in and learning and watching them grow. And, and all that stuff's a wonderful thing. But I've grown to become very affectionate and appreciative of those who are just faithful year after year after year. Why? What would cause that? Same thing that caused this servant to put a hole in his ear and commit his life. It's a love for the master. And a love for him isn't just a year or two or five or six or seven commitment. It's not a decade or two. It's a lifetime. From here on out, into eternity, I'm serving my master. And there's an expectation put upon his people that we give ourselves to him and him only. So let me ask you this morning, very, very honestly, and please don't raise your hand. I just want, I just want you to think about it. Do you really love the master this morning? Do you really love him? Oh, well, got reason to. If there's no question, I don't think in any of our minds or should be that he loves us. He's proven it far above and beyond. But do we love him? Does our life display it? Does our neighbors, because everybody else that looked at that... <laughs> Nobody had to guess whose servant that was. They knew who he loved. Do our neighbors, our co-workers, our extended family, do they know we love him? They ought to. They ought to know it by the way we exhibit our life. Are you kidding me? You're going to be in church every night this week? You're, you're, you're going to go listen to some redheaded preacher from Oklahoma this week? What? Well, it's not the preacher that we're going for. I'm going to do it because I love my master. And my master is going to meet with me. And my master is going to speak to my heart and give me some instruction and some direction. Come on, everybody knew who this servant belonged to and who he loved. What about those around us? Do they know? Do we really Let's bow our heads this morning. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. I tell you this, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your Christian life today, I promise you this, we could love Him more. You know, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, that we're to keep ourselves in the love of God. That statement is talking about keeping our love for Him the way it ought to be. 
I, I read it this morning. Because of iniquity, the Bible says, the love of many shall wax cold. Sometimes our love isn't what it ought to be. And I'm hoping this week that God will stir our heart and cause us to love Him more. That ought to be our prayer this morning, no matter where we are. I think some of us could honestly stand and give testimony, not just with our mouth, but with the exhibition of our life. Yes, we love Him. But man, I could do so much better. And I want to. Maybe you need to spend some time with the Lord this morning on the altar where you're at, whatever the case might be. And just say, Lord, I, I want to I leave this week loving you more. Would you help me to love you like you deserve? Maybe it'd be as simple as this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for all that you've done from my salvation to put me in this church to all that you've done. God, thank you. I think a gratitude, a heart of gratitude would go a long way in revival. Our Father this morning, we sure love you. And we want to tell you that, but Father, more than that, we want our lives to show it. So God, might you work in our hearts, our spirit, draw us close to you. Help us. Perhaps there is iniquity that's found its way into our heart and we're not even aware of. Father, might you deal with that issue this morning. Father, may as your people we find ourselves yearning to love you more. Father, thank you. Bless this invitation today in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand to our feet, musicians.